Good morning again. It is so wonderful to see you. Those that I can see, some of you sit in the dark on purpose, I think. Do you pick the spot in the dark where I can't get to see you? No, I'm kidding. It is so great to be here, and um, I have the honor of getting to host this service this morning. Uh, A few weeks ago, when um, Pastor Adam and I were talking, and we realized that he was going to be out of town for the third part of our Doomsday Prepper series that we're in right now, he said, Jamie, do you want to go ahead and teach that? And I said, honey, me teaching end times is like you teaching cooking. Like, it would be very short and involve a microwave somehow. I mean, there is nothing that when we, when we were married 24 years ago, he knew how to heat up a hot dog in a bowl of water in the microwave and fry an egg in the microwave. And t- almost 25 years later, he knows how to heat up a hot dog in the microwave and fry an egg. Because he says he does that on purpose, because if he knows how to cook, he'll have to. And so as long as he does dishes, which he does really well, it's fine with me. I'll do the cooking. He'll do the cleaning. That's perfect. So, but we are finishing part three of our series, Doomsday Preppers. The first week, we just talked about that no man knows the hour, and we kind of introduced it. Last week was Love Letters to the Body of Christ, where we talked about all the different letters to the different churches, and every church was given a praise and then a rebuke, but then a promise after a certain action. And I just really appreciated that. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get to hear it, go back and get the podcast. You can listen online at the website. I think we even have video podcasts coming up now, which is really exciting. You can also stream. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but you can stream. You can watch these services live if you're not in town uh, and if your kids are homesick and different things like that. I love that because people will text me and say, I wasn't able to make it, but we're watching live and we're able to see it, which is a lot of fun. Somebody even said they watched it on vacation. So I think you're more spiritual than I am. I don't watch services on vacation. I just sleep a lot. So anyway, but as we finish this end times discussion, we, what, I, what we did is we have two amazing pastors on our team that are going to come up and have the discussion with me. That's what I love about Church on the Hill, especially when we talk about something that is in the future, something that's open to interpretation. It's not necessarily going to be a person that gets up here and tells you definitively, without a doubt, we are 100% sure of exactly what's going to happen. There are things that we are 100% sure of. We are 100% sure that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? We are 100% sure that he is the Son of God, that he was sent to this earth for the redemption of mankind, and that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? We are sure of those things. But as we read the story that's in those, that beautiful book we call the Bible, as we read the stories that end in Revelation, there's things that we're figuring out and we're learning. So I love getting to do this, and I'm going to call to the stage Pastor John Hunter and Pastor Jonathan Pena. If you'll give them a hand as they come up here. And I have to tell you, in preparing for this, I'm definitely the most ignorant of the, of the team, for sure. But, and so it was fascinating. We have spent hours together, hours and hours, just discussing this concept. They were real patient with me. I was like, wait, I don't get it. That doesn't make sense. How does this work out? But as we begin to talk it through, we begin to talk about not only the story of the book of Revelation, but how it fits in modern day times and how we're seeing those happen. So I really appreciate being with these two incredible, knowledgeable team members as we as we talk this through and figure it out. Now, I have to warn you, Pastor John is very studied on the subject, so it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. So if you already have a language barrier, a little bit of a challenge, forgive us in advance. No, because they already fuss at Pastor Adam. They'll say, Pastor, you need to slow down. You talk too fast, So, But it's our southern way. Yeah, no. See? Ooh. So you can do the whole thing in Spanish then? One of the biggest discussions we had was getting John the shorter chair so we don't look... It was so, Jonathan's idea, so not mine. I'm like, man, look, I'm not going to be stuck next to you making me feel super small. So if I can get one leg up and get you a shorter stool, I'm going to do it. And so we did it. <laughs> but the kids stay. Yeah. I want to open with a scripture before I, I turn it over. And that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. And I think this was a point we touched on last week that I want to kind of Remind us of and preface as we move into what we're going to be doing today. And it says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, 
just as in fact you are doing. And that's kind of what we're going to do today as we finish this third part. It's going to be in kind of part A and part B today. Part A is going to be kind of a timeline discussion, and you really have to hit it from a high overview because there's so many intricacies and points into the book of Revelation. But Pastor John is going to bring us through kind of a a chronological discussion of what happens. Last week we talked about the, the church age, and we can put up that timeline we had last week there was a more of a simple timeline. The church age is what we, we would call the age that we're living in now. And that's when we see um, John writing out what Jesus' letters were to the churches during that age. And then after that, we see um, the time, what we believe is, is the time of the rapture. You'll see the timeline. And then from there, it goes forward through the tribulation, uh, the desecration of the temple, return of Christ, millennial reign, final judgment, eternal state, all those things um, are a timeline that begins to unfold as we see in the book of Revelation. So the first part of this sermon today is going to be Pastor John kind of walking us through those things as he's seen them through his his studies, maybe as other scholars have seen and things like that. Then the second part is, as we see in Thessalonians, it says encourage one another, build each other up. And that was the whole reason we chose doomsday preppers. You see these people that go to extremes to prep for what they believe is coming. But what does that look like for us as Christians? How do we prepare for this this end that we see in, in, in the Bible. And so that's what Pastor Jonathan's going to talk to us about, is what does that look like? How then do we make ready for what we've seen? And so we talked about the early church age. Then, um, then Pastor Adam talked about pre-wrath. Does anybody remember if you were here last week versus pre-trib and post-trib and this debate that people get in, the importance of pre-wrath. Pastor John, can you explain that term even more of pre-wrath? Uh, pre-wrath, uh, yeah, it's in, in, thank you guys. Uh, it's, it's, I, get, I get all the teachings like sex and end times. So <laughs> this is... <laughs> we bring him in for Marriage, the Marriage, Sex, separate. and the Apocalypse is my new book coming <laughs> that out. That way, spring. if anything's crazy, we can blame it on Pastor John and you can That's just right. send anyone's all the controversial stuff. Yeah, so pre-wrath, so the, the concept behind the whole argument of, of what, where the, where's this rapture going to happen? We know that we're going to meet Jesus in the air. Thessalonians make it very clear that, that the dead in Christ will rise first and that those who are still alive will meet together in the air, our Savior, uh, so that we know that, that when that trumpet blows that there's going to be that moment. The, the question about when that moment is has been de- debated throughout Christian history. Now, the reason why it's so important for us to take the entirety of the Word of God, and I think one thing you always have to be careful of, is studying one book too hard. Because the Word of God was never meant to be segmented out. I, you mentioned that this morning. I really appreciate that. The, that the Word of God is never meant to be divided up and segmented out. And to take the book of Revelations and then just focus on that. Because the book of Revelations fits within the framework of the entirety of the Word of God from Genesis all the way through. And so with that concept in mind, the, Jesus' purpose for coming to the earth was to take the judgment of sin for all those who receive his salvation, his name, his, 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 his word in their life, that his responsibility was to take the judgment of all sin on his flesh. And we see in Isaiah that it says during this time of crucifixion, it said that God looked upon him and his sacrifice and he was satisfied. God's satisfaction for justice for sin was satisfied on Jesus Christ. He was satisfied. He did it. He did enough. Jesus on the cross, the last thing he said, it is finished. All the judgment of sin is finished within me. If you receive me, you become a part of my body. All your sin is finished within me. So what we see in the book of Revelation is in over 17 times it mentions God's anger and God's wrath being poured out on planet earth or on mankind for sin that we decided in our own free will to stand by ourselves. In other words, God, I feel like what I've done, I can stand for my own righteousness, self-righteousness. Instead of being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I believe that my self-righteousness is good enough to stand. So in that, when God's wrath is poured out on mankind, for him to pour out his wrath on Christians who have received Christ would be for him to judge your sin twice, once in Christ and once in you. That would be, that would be essentially saying the judgment that God poured out on Christ on the cross wasn't good enough. That's why Thessalonians is very clear that we, that God has not appointed us, the body of Christ. Remember, the, the New Testament was not written to the world, it was written to the church. That God has, appointed, has not appointed us unto his wrath, 
because Christ stood in the gap and received that wrath for us. I think this was um, interesting to me because when we think about, but wait, God is good. Why would he, doesn't he love us? Why would he hurt people? Why would bad things happen if we have such a good God? But I think if he, I love how Pastor John said, and he mentioned that in the other, so maybe I'm taking your sermon from you, but that, that there is a time appointed that, that there, because he is good, he is also just. And so because mankind fell, then there has to be a consequence to that. And, um, and so there is a story to be written. Now, Jesus came as a way for us to accept that redemption, but there is an appointed time, and that's what we see as the book of Revelation that begins to happen. When you hear the terms like the, the tribulation and all these terms that we're going to hear, it's the beginning of that court date. It's the beginning of the sentencing, so to speak. And we're going to be starting here in Revelation chapter 6 and covering chapter 6 through 16, and, uh, and we're going to give just an overview of those things. We're hitting on the seals the trumpets, and the bowls of wrath. If you guys have ever heard of those things, the seals, when I was a kid, I thought literal, like, just, you know, ignorant kid seals. I thought, you know, like, SeaWorld. Yeah, you know, I was like, man, the Lord controls all things. You know, I was like, wow, that'd be awesome, like the seal of, of doom, you know, and here he comes, you know. So, so we're not talking about that. And, uh, and so Revelation chapter 6 through 16 is where we're going to be headed. So if you got your Bible, get it out. And, and Pastor John says, we're going to be doing like a bumper sticker type overview of what's going on. There's so much information and, and allegories to dive into and really get in and, and cross-referencing back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, prophecies, all sorts of stuff. But we're going to be going on a brief overview of Revelations chapter 6 through 16, primarily hitting the seals the trumpets, and the bowls of wrath. So Pastor John, would you get us started there in chapter 6 with the seals? Yeah, and it, and it backs up just a little bit before that. We see in chapter 4, as soon as Jesus, through the, through the writer John, warns the church. So we see right before the tribulation begins, he warns the church, get ready. Listen, I, 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 you're my body. I need you to be ready for this. this is, we see within Jesus' own statistics, I guess you could say, two at the well, one was taken, one was left. Two in the field, one was taken, one was left. Ten virgins that were waiting. You couldn't even tell the difference between them. They're all virgins. They're all waiting for the coming of the, the Messiah. Ten of, five of them were ready. Five of them were not. Even within Jesus' own statistics, half the body of Christ is not prepared for his return. So we, so we see this where Jesus is, is very passionate in, in chapters 2 and 3 about church, get ready, get ready, get ready. This, he will know the season. We may not know so the day T. or the Jake's hour. had it right, right? Get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready. And so, and then immediately after that, we see John removed to heaven. This is the church being removed, taken up before the wrath begins. And, and then, we, then it goes into this, this moment in heaven. And, and the question is asked, who is worthy to break these seals? Now, as Jonathan mentioned, the, the, if that, is that timeline still up here? You see the, this, this middle part. You see three and a half years and three and a half years. So uh, these first three and a half years, there's, there's seals, there's trumpets, and there's bowls. There's seven of each. That means there's 21 of these moments during the, the, during the tribulation time. The seals is the reveal. Talk about that in just a moment. The trumpets is the announcement. The bowls is the execution. So we have, the, uh, we have the reveal and the announcement in the first three and a half years, and we have the execution of judgment in the last three and a half years. So we have the seals and the trumpets in the first three and a half years, and we have the bowls being poured out in the last three and a half years. Now, where this really derives from and where this comes from is an understanding of ancient culture. Uh, we do not understand ancient culture because we are not an ancient culture. Uh, you know, America is the infant on the block when it comes to the world. We have our, you know, our, our history dates back a couple of hundred years, a few hundred years. It doesn't date back thousands of years. We don't have an ancient culture here. We have a very modern culture. If you want to say it, we really have an immature culture. Um, and our culture really as an American, and, and I know we're in the political season, everything's, you know, we're kind of going... Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, patriotism and there's maybe a lot of fear going on during this time. But, um, you know, as an American, you may not like to hear this, but it's the truth, is one of your greatest enemies to your Christianity is your American mentality. Mm -hmm. It really is. We don't understand kingship. We hate lordship. Ever heard of the Boston Tea Party? <laughs> we do not want to have anybody telling us what to do. And, and here's the part that makes it more difficult for you and I is we're also Texans. Yes. Nobody Amen. tells us what to do. Secede. Let's yeah, go. Let's get absolutely. out of here. Let's forget. We, no one tells us what to do. So to understand the concept of covenant and lordship, 
in a culture like ours is very difficult. And that's why the book of Revelation becomes very mysterious to a Western or American mentality. is because it doesn't make sense to us. So in a more ancient culture, in a culture that John understood, in a culture that, that, um, that Abraham understood, in a culture that Moses understood, in a culture like that, they had what's called covenant. We don't talk about covenant much. We don't understand covenant. We have contracts, so maybe let's replace that word covenant with contracts for a moment because you understand contracts. Everybody understands contracts. In fact, you know, many of you have nasty letters coming in the mail to you every week because of contracts that you have signed. And we understand that concept because it is very similar to a covenant. Two people sit down. You have something I want, and I have something you want. You, I, you have a lot of money right now that I want to buy a car. I have interest over time that you want. So let's make a covenant. Let's write a contract together. Here's the terms of the contract. I sign here, which says, you loan me this bulk amount of money. I pay it back at the 15th of every month. You, and, and if we do this, everything's good. And the blessings of the covenant is that car becomes mine one day. And you buy it for me, right? And I get to drive it from this day forward, even though it's really your car. Then there's also the curses of the contract. If you don't fulfill this contract, if you don't pay, we'll send somebody to your house. We'll take that car back. We'll put a lock on your front door. We will reclaim what belongs to us. Mm-hmm. You broke the contract. So with that in mind, let's look at covenant. In ancient times, what they would do, and we see this all through the, the, the Old Testament, is they would come into covenant with each other. A farming tribe, a warring tribe, you have food, we're hungry, we're not smart enough to grow food, but we can fight real good. So you provide us with food, we'll provide you with protection. Let's our two tribes come into covenant with each other. And so this is what happened between God and mankind. He gave us planet Earth. He made a contract and a covenant and said, this is yours. All the dominion of it. I'm going to give it to you. And in the moment that we broke covenant with God, instead of continuing to bow our knee to him, we bowed our knee to Satan. And we handed that over to him. So in, the, so in that covenant contract, in these ancient times, what they would do is, the first thing you would do is you would write out the conditions of the contract. That makes sense to us. Then after you wrote out the conditions of the contract, you would then fold that up and you would seal it. They would use like a wax and they would seal it and stamp it. And that covenant was then sealed. Then from that, they would then go to two different mountains or two different sides of the village and they would blow a horn and they would announce a blessing. If you fulfill the covenant, these are the blessings you receive. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The mountain of blessing and the mountain of cursing. But if you break this covenant, these are the curses that will come upon you. Then the last thing they would do after all the formalities were done is you'd get the two heads of the tribe. They would come together. There'd be a bowl, and it would have a juice or a wine in it. They would cut themselves. They would allow each of their bloods to mingle in the bowl. Then they would each drink that, saying, now I'm part of your bloodline, and you're part of my bloodline. This covenant is deeper than a signature on a paper. It's our bloodlines coming together. No way. No, that's not going to happen with Jonathan. You can keep your sheep. Jonathan is anti-vampiric in all of his covenant signings. So, so then they would then coast through life. We would protect you. We would provide for you. Then one day somebody breaks that covenant. The moment that covenant is broken, the first thing you have to do is take a, the, sealed, the sealed contract and you would break that seal. And you would open it up to read the conditions, the revealing of the covenant. Then after that was done, then you would go up on these mountains and you would blow a trumpet and you would say... This tribe has broken covenant. This tribe has no honor. This tribe has disgraced the bloodline. This tribe, you would announce all the covenant breaks, all the curses from that covenant. Then the last thing you would do is take this bowl, the bowl that you just mixed with blood, the bowl that signified the coming together of two nations, the coming together of two tribes, and you would empty that bowl out and say, now all the curse of this is now be upon your head. So they would, they would literally go to the side of the mountain and say, They would literally do this. 24.99% interest and <laughs> now, reclaiming compounded. your car and ruining your credit for five years. Yeah, they would announce the whole neighborhood, everything wow. you did wrong. Everybody around would know that you're a dishonorable tribe. Why? Because other tribes would not ever enter covenant with you again. Wow. So the writer of Revelation and his audience that he was speaking to understood this context. They understood the significance of seals and trumpets and bowls. And so that's why when this vision was given and when he's writing this in the book of Revelation, that's the context as he begins to discuss what the tribulation is going to be like and how it's going to unfold. So explain to us how that looks according to the timeline as these seals begin to unfold. 
It's amazing. And the book of Revelation is so, it, there's, it's such a comprehensive moment. It's seven years of depicted un, just amazing circumstances that have happened on planet Earth. Uh, I mean, I, we could almost just dismiss it because the Cubs are going to the World Series. So, Man. I mean, that's Revelation in time. First so, seal. That's it right there. This is the first seal right there, I believe. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, we have, so, the first thing you see is in heaven, there's a weeping and a crying of, who is worthy to break the seals? Who, what man has the right to break these seals? Now, this, this is interesting because this is, one of the big, this is one of the main reasons we always wonder, why did Jesus come as a man? Why didn't Jesus just fly in as God, fix everything, move everything along, say, if you believe in me, get saved. If you don't, I don't care, whatever. Why didn't he just come in in a lightning bolt and do a whole Zeus thing? Why, what's the virgin birth? Why did he have to be born as a man? Because a man is the one who broke covenant, and only a man has the ability now to stand in judgment over that covenant. Jesus had to be right in everything he did. So in the midst of this weeping moment, all of heaven crying out, who is worthy to break the seals? John begins to weep as he's seeing these things. He's saying, no one can break this seal. And the elders pat him on the back and says, stand up. There is one. It's the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. The lamb of God comes up, and he begins to break these seals. That's the reveal. What's so, the first seal, John? The first seal, and you may have heard about these, is the, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So you may, you know, to kind of sum it up and make it very Hollywood for you this morning, is uh, the first seal is, the, is, is, is uh, when the first seal is broken, it's a man that comes in on a white horse. Now, 1 Thessalonians this says, first, or, sorry, 2 Thessalonians was written because 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the Thessalonican church and tells them, hey guys, there's a rapture coming, end times is coming, I need you to get prepared, I need you to get people prepared for this. Well, somewhere in the midst of that, some false teachers came in, and they had told the Thessalonican church that they missed the rapture, so they're freaked out. So Paul writes another letter to them and says, guys... There's no social media, can yeah, you imagine so, that? Yeah, this is pre-social media, so it happened weeks later instead of 15, 52 seconds They went seconds on pilgrimage, later. and he just, they went on rapture. Yeah, they they, just they're raptured, they're done. And so, and so they, so he writes a second letter and says, you didn't miss it. Let me give you a couple of things you need to, that, that will determine when this moment happens. One is the, is the great apostasy. Now that word apostasy was left in the Greek, kind of shouldn't have been. It was left in the Greek. It's the Greek word apostasia. It really means a removal from one position to another. So yes, an apostate person who leaves a religion, leaves his place in that religion and goes out and serves another religion but, also, but the word apostasy in the Greek just means to leave one position to another. So the first thing he says is the first thing that must happen is the great apostasia, or the great removal from one position to another. The rapture has to happen first. Now, once again, some of these things are, are open to discussion, but this is, this is one of the things that I, I feel is very strong to at least have an understanding of as you're reading through the book of Revelations. The second thing is what we see, see as the first seal that's broken. The man of perdition must be revealed. This is the Antichrist. So the first seal that's broken is this guy that comes in on a white horse. He's given authority by Jesus. Jesus lifts his authority. In Matthew, it says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He lifts that authority off planet earth, and he allows this man, the Antichrist, to assume his position and take authority of planet earth. In other words, what Jesus says in this moment, guys, you think you can do a better job than me? Fine, do it. Now, do you think we'll see an actual horse? I mean, you think we'll know or it'll happen, and we'll be like, oh, my gosh, we look up, and we've been... First seal been broken for, you know, 30 days, 60 days. Yeah, so what you're going to see in a more practical term on this when it comes to an antichrist, he's a political figure that comes out of what we see in Daniel's, the feet mixed with uh, iron mixed with clay, which is the revised Roman Empire. So it's the area of the same Rome because Rome was the legs of iron. So the feet mixed with clay and iron has, this, has the image of iron but a weakness of clay. So we know that this man, this, this, political, this political entity, this person, this individual, is going to come out of this, this European region of the world. And he's going to rise up as a great political figure. He's going to be renowned the world around. Everybody's going to see him, know him, and understand that this is a man that they feel like, as the world, can lead us to, to, to victory, can bring peace, can bring strength to our, to our world. So it, it literally rises up almost as a one-world government, I guess you would say. And this is going to be that political figure. So this is the first horse that comes in. Symbolically, the horse, practically a man that rises up in a political strength. Um, the second seal then is broken. This is the red one. This is the red horse. The, the red horse then comes in. The rider on him removes all peace from planet Earth. 
And, and the reason why I'm only going to cover these first four seals, some of you might th- be thinking, oh my gosh, we got like oh, 20, 19 more of these to go. We're not. I'm only going to go through <laughs> four seals. You will get to eat lunch today. Don't <laughs> yeah, you will. We promise. Well, you're second service, so there's no real time constraints. Yes, so there I'm is. Like, totally cool. That's here. why we're sitting here. We're a John sandwich. <laughs> That's why I'm in the middle on the short chair. Um, so, we, so the second horse that comes in is a red horse. All peace is removed from planet Earth. In other words, every country, listen to the news. Every country that's on the verge of conflict or war enters into conflict and war. Every single country. Think about North Korea. Think about what's going on in even places like Thailand where they keep having, uh, where they keep having coup d'etats going on on almost a weekly basis. Think about the entire Middle East. Think about what's going on in Russia. Think about what's going on in China, China Taiwan. Think about all these regions of the world right now that just seem to be sitting on a knife's edge of conflict. The second, uh, the second seal that is broken, all the peace... Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus Christ. When his leadership is removed from planet Earth, there is no more peace. So all the world falls into conflict in this moment. These are just the reveals. This, isn't even the, this is not the pouring of judgment yet. This is just the revealing of God's wrath. So then the third seal is then the black, is then the black horse. This is total poverty across the world. This is a time when, when you think about every country falling into a state of war... Where, where is all your supplies going to go? Where is all your produce going to go? It's going to go to feed armies. It's going to go to feed the conflict. All the finances, everything is now shifted into a wartime era, and everybody falls into a time of poverty, into a time of neglect. You, there is not the ability to supply for your family. It just becomes a chaotic time that the entire world falls wow. in, which leads us to the fourth seal, and this is why I'm going to end on this one. The fourth seal is then the pale horse, or the ashen horse, and it says that he came as death, and hell followed with him. All of you who remember, uh, what was that uh, movie with um, Tombstone? Tombstone, thank you very much. And he comes in on the pale horse, and death follows with him. And listen to this. A third of the world's population right now dies. Now listen, first three and a half years, as I showed you before, seven seals and seven trumpets. We're on the fourth seal. And a third of the world's population so that, is dead. So that's a third of the world's population in conjunction. It has nothing to do with the war and the terrorism and all that junk. This is the fourth seal. Boom. Disease. This is the fourth seal. Something Disease. crazy happens. The Ebola, all this stuff rolls. War. The fourth seal's broken. And a third of, there's eight billion people on planet Earth right now. A third of them now are dead. This is two and a half, three billion people. Now, by the time we even get to the trumpets, another quarter of the world's population dies. We're going to be up in the... Three and a half to four billion range at this point. Man. That's the first, by the fourth seal, the entire population of the United States times seven is dead within about three and a half to four months. Wow. They say that all the dirt moving equipment on planet Earth will not be able to bury the dead. This is the, the stench of death will literally encompass the entire world at this time. And we're only four months in. There's all these ideologies, theories, ideas out there that maybe, you know, amillennialism, maybe the apocalypse, maybe this whole thing of the book of Revelations happened back during the time of Nero, during the time that John was actually writing these things. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's this longer-term thing that happens over, a gener- over generations of time. Maybe we're in it right now. I can promise, by the, by the security of the promises of the Word of God, when God's wrath is poured out, there will be no question. Yeah. There will be no confusion. The whole world will know that all things have now been turned upside down. There will be absolutely no question whatsoever that this is a moment unlike anything history of this world has ever seen before. Now, in Revelation chapter 7, it talks about the 144,000 people. Explain that. God's long-suffering, all of that. Ex- explain to that. Jumping into chapter 7 a little bit. Yeah, uh, chapter 7, there, you do see these individuals rise up. And, it, and, it's, and it's very well spoken in the book of Revelation. The 144,000, which, you know, there's some confusion on it. Even some religions base themselves around that 144,000. But what the 144,000 is very clearly uh, spoken in Scripture is 12,000 from every tribe of the nation of Israel. So 12 tribes, 12,000 individuals, 144,000. These are those in the nation of Israel that once these things start happening, they recognize their eyes are opened up, the blinders are taken off, the Messiah they still are waiting on, they recognize they already missed. They immediately submit their lives to Christ, and there's a, there's a seal that is placed on their forehead that they cannot be harmed by anything. Now, once again, in the whole pre-wrath, in the in discussion of, is the church going to go through this time of the tribulation? We know that 
There is no one on planet Earth protected except for these 144,000. It's the only ones in Scripture that say that they're protected. So in the midst of the seals, all of this stuff, these 144 people preaching the gospel, winning people to Jesus. No, they're, they're going to be witnessing to Jesus. There's, there's, there is, there's something I would love to teach on, but I can't do it this morning. There is something that happens around the three-and-a-half-year time frame that during that first three-and-a-half years, that's when you're going to see all the eccentric things happen during this time. That's when you're going to see the political movements. That's when you're going to see the Babylonian movements. That's when you're going to see Israel making a deal with the Antichrist. That's when you're going to see the temple rebuilt. That's when you're going to see the witnesses in the streets preaching. That's when the 144,000 will be out witnessing to, for Christ. At the end of that three and a half years, when the bowls begin to be poured out and God says, this is it, this is my wrath, from, that, from the three and a half year midpoint to the end of the, tri- the, end of the seven year tribulation, at that point, it's, there is nothing political happening. It is just every man for themselves. It is just, there is nothing that can save. There is nothing that can restrict. There is nothing that can protect. It is the moment where God's wrath is poured out on humanity. It's God's wrath being poured out on this world. It is God saying, this is my justice. And, I, and, I, and, I, and that being such a dark and gloomy moment of the service, I do want to pull back to what Jamie was saying earlier, is because, you know, it's, you read through this, it's almost as if, does God, where is the love of God? The love of God was thousands of years leading up to this. The love of God was the fact that the moment that Adam and Eve broke covenant, the moment that mankind began to disgrace the name of God, the moment that, that man began to shake his fist of arrogance in the face of God day after day, kingdom after kingdom, rulership after rulership, millennia after millennia, all these generations of mankind insulting the nature and the holiness of God we see in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, do not, be a, do not be unaware of these things. He says, there's going to be scoffers in the last day that say, where is this coming that you talk about? You've talked about it since I was a kid. It still hasn't happened. Things continue as they've always continued. Nothing has changed. He said, you better be aware in this moment. Because it's in these moments that God proves his patience. Because we deserve this 6,000 years ago. We deserve this 4,000 years ago. We deserve this wrath 2,000 years ago. We deserve this wrath 100 years ago. We deserve this wrath today. But God in his love and his grace and his patience has withheld that to give everyone a chance for redemption. So grace without justice, grace without justice is lawlessness. Justice without grace is vindictive. God is not lawless. He is just. And God is not vindictive. He is loving. And he has held this, he has held this anvil, of ju- anvil of justice for thousands of years to allow as many as possible to come under the grace, come under the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ as our advocate during this court date. And so we've got the seals. We right? have the seals. So, they, so they, they broke the seals. And figuratively speaking, they're going to each side of the mountain to blow the trumpets and claim the, the high interest rates and all this stuff. So what does that look like? If we're just putting it down, we signed a contract, and all of a sudden you defaulted, you know, we broke the seal, you've got the notice, and now here, here are the terms. So what do the trumpets look like as we go into chapter 8? As we go into chapter 8, these trumpets begin to sound, and, and, and this is not really the judgments of God that's happening. As the seals are being broken... So this isn't the judgment yet. This all these bad judgment. things are happening. Just, no, this is the announcement of it. Oh, gosh. We reveal it through Jesus pulling his, his hand back from planet Earth, his authority, his peace. He pulls it back. So when he pulls it back, what's happened? Somebody slips in his place called the Antichrist. When he pulls back his peace, war slips in its place. He says, you guys, you think you can handle it? Handle it. So then the next thing that happens is these trumpets begin to sound. And, they, and just like in the book of Deuteronomy, we have these two mountains, and as the trumpets begin to sound, think about it. When, when in, 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 um, in Psalms, it says that the God placed the stars in the sky by his fingertips. Think about just his movement as his fingertips places stars in the sky. What happens when heaven sounds trumpets of judgment? Earth begins to shake. Mountains are moved out of their place. The waters begin to die. By the end of the... So this is just the announcement of our God is coming and judgment is coming with him. It says that just as the wine press was pressed, so will God press out the grapes of wrath that he has upon the nature of sin within the earth. And so this announcement that comes in this first three and a half years is these trumpets being blown. Seven seals were broken, 
Seven trumpets are now blown. And just the blowing of these trumpets, another quarter of the world's population will cease to exist during this time. So what are these curses? As, as the seal's been broken, we've got to read the curses. We understood the covenant. Now the curses. What are the curses with these trumpets that are going to be blown out? The, well, the curses, we don't really understand. The curses are we're, we're covenants that God has made with mankind since the beginning of time. And so the, the announcement really is not as much these individual curses of, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know, your, your flocks are going to die, your, your, your cattle are going to be diseased. You know, we see that in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is less specific. What this is, uh, when God announces the, this moment, his announcement is all the grace, all the time, all the mercy that I have shed upon this earth and upon all mankind for the last thousand years, it's now done. Gone. It's done. So what happens during the trumpet time then? During the trumpet time, many things happen. Once again, I would encourage everybody to go read the book of Revelations, um, get some of the details. Earthquakes happen. Mountains are moved. Um, it's there, there's the, the wars that take place. It's just really what you see is you see the hand of God removed from planet Earth. Well, and we see in the middle of the tribulation on this timeline a term called the desecration of the temple. And, and John, you can give that in, into a little more detail. Some believe that, it, that Israel enters a covenant with, with the Antichrist, right? We see possibly a, a superpower like Russia or something like that. And, and how does the temple get desecrated? What's that term and what's the context of that? So the desecration of the temple, once again, a lot of these terminologies, I think you have to sometimes fight really hard to get some of this stuff out of Christianese and, and try to get it out of the archaic Christian terminology that really doesn't make sense. You almost have to fight for truth. I think the, the greatest thing a Christian can really have in his, in his soul and in his heart and his driving uh, ambition as a Christian is to fight for truth. And so as you fight for truth in this, it really does, and you, and you really read the comprehensive understanding of the end times, we see Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38, we see that there's this superpower that comes down from the north against Israel. Now, this is a great superpower. They team up with, with Egypt, which wouldn't have made sense until the Arab Spring a few years ago. We see this great superpower aligned with other uh, Arab nations that comes down. Many believe that this, this, this superpower called Gog and Magog is actually Russia. Now, we, you don't have to follow the news very closely to realize right now that we are seeing a more dangerous Russia right now in 2016 than we saw during the Cold War during 1988. We are seeing a much more dangerous Russia today than we've seen in the past 30 to 40 years. So we see that Russia, if it is Russia, it makes sense because what they're aligning their, their ideology with right now, they need Israel. Russia was once the largest exporter of natural gas in the entire world. Their natural gas reserves are down to less than, less than 7%. They only have about five years of natural gas left to export. Israel, which is weird, Israel just now in the last four years has discovered the two largest natural gas reserves on planet Earth. Wow. One is called Leviathan. I can't remember what the other one was called. But, they, but Russia immediately came in under, under Vladimir Putin and said, we will help you develop this. Israel put their hand up and said, no, we've we got a Canadian firm that's going to help us with this. We, we think you're going to take too much of it. So now Russia needs that gas. They also need, which you're going to hear a little bit later on, this valley called Megiddo. This valley called Megiddo is where the Battle of Armageddon, which we'll hit on in just a moment, will take place. And the reason, it's the most fought over valley on planet Earth. It's 200 square miles. And in this 200 square miles, it's the most fertile valley on planet Earth. Two-thirds of all the produce that, that Europe consumes comes out of this valley. This is the most, it's the most fought over area of the world that history has ever known. And that's in Israel. That's in Israel. It's right outside of Jerusalem. It's in Israel. So Russia, two things Russia needs. They need food because they live on a tundra. And they need natural gas. If they, can get, if they can secure Israel, they can secure themselves going back under an iron curtain and becoming the Russia of old. So this, this, so this, so this, this onslaught war against Israel at the very beginning of the tribulation or right before it begins, it results in Israel then fire raining down from sky and killing six out of seven inhabitants of all the countries that came against them. Now, in our understanding today in our current technology, we know that to be a nuclear war. Russia can't respond nuclear because you can't put a 30-year half-life on a field you plan on growing cabbage in. So they, they try to do a it's glowing cabbage. It's, glowing. it's beautiful. I mean, you now you've got X-Men as, <laughs> we as know citizens where it is of your night. country. Um, so, they have, so, now, so you have this moment where Israel has now unleashed or released their entire protective, protective arsenal. So they need to find an ally. Right now, the most powerful ally is the Antichrist. So they make a deal with the Antichrist. His token of goodwill 
is to then rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount for the nation of Israel, which they rejoice in, and they say, this is the one. We finally found the one who is able to reconstruct the temple. Then that's at the very beginning of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. By the middle three and a half years, when the two witnesses that Adam spoke about a couple of weeks ago, when they're laying dead in the streets, the end of the three and a half years, it is actually the Antichrist that kills the two witnesses. He literally, in, he didn't do it because he didn't like them. It was the nation of Israel that said, rid us of these two men. Get rid of the, they are speaking righteousness and they're condemning our nation. And who do we believe those two people are? Well, uh, there's lots of different ideas out there. Uh, I think the two most prominent ideas was because of the Mount of Transfiguration, some believe that it's Moses and Elijah. That's the two that Jesus met with on the Mount of Transfiguration. I personally don't believe that because God told Moses he would never enter the Promised Land, and that's right in the middle of the Promised Land. I believe that it's actually Enoch and Elijah because those are two men that were taken without dying. Enoch walked with God and then was no more. He was lifted out. And then Elijah told Elisha, see how the Lord takes me and, and you'll have a double portion of my anointing. And, and so then Elijah was then also removed or raptured out before death. So I think these two men were reserved for this moment in time and are brought back down as the two witnesses. But, and so after they lay in the streets, think about this. Then the Antichrist, after he becomes the hero, the savior, or what the, the, the nation of Israel is looking for, he becomes their Messiah. I rebuilt your temple, and I killed the two men causing you harm that none of you could do, do anything with. He immediately walks right between them. He walks into the temple that he built, and he sits down on the throne that's only reserved for the Messiah. Oh, wow. Now, in that moment, the nation of Israel realizes, what have we done? We've made a deal with the devil. We have, we have now completely desecrated this temple, this temple site, and everything we ever stood for. And so the desecration of the temple is the Antichrist who believes that he is the Christ, the Savior. Satan has no innovative ideas on his own. All he can do is copy. A brilliant thing about this is pyramids. Where did, where did Satan get that idea? 15,000 or 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles tall is the city of God. He, I mean, he cannot have a creative bone in his body. He does, all he can do is emulate and copy. So... He copied through the, we see characters in the book of Revelation such as, don't get too confused about it, the dragon, which is Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, the false prophet, and then there's a, there's a, there's a, a prostitute. So you have the unholy trinity, the Father, Son, Holy, or I'm sorry, the, the holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the unholy trinity, the, the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. He has no creative ability. The prostitute, what is the bride of Christ? She is the body of Christ. What is the prostitute? It's a false bride. Wow. So in every instance, you just see a copycat. You see an emulation. You see an imitation of what, what, what God has already done that Satan tries to counterfeit. And this is and just the in. trumpets. This is during all during the trumpet time. Oh, my God. We have seven more things. So then when the Lord. trumpets are done, the last trumpet is blown. It's the most, it's, to me, it's the most pivotal moment in, in the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 11, verse 17. It's the most pivotal moment because when the last and the seventh trumpet is blown, then the angel announces this. The kingdoms of man in this world have now become the kingdoms of our God and his son, Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's all about man has had dominion here long enough. Man has had his time. He's had his moment. God gave us dominion over planet earth. We built kingdoms. We built nations. We rose kings up to their highest level. And the angel is now announcing, this time is over. And your kingdoms are now going to be given over. And we see this from even Luke in the beginning when Jesus was first born. We see, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Jesus will come in as that kingdom. He will, he will then snatch away the kingdoms of this world and place them back under the authority where they belong with the creator. And then now we, got, we move from the breaking of the seals, they blew the trumpets, now we're at, we're at pouring the out the bowls. Now at this point, there is no... And this is Revelation chapter uh, 15 and 16. There is no, there is no believers left. This, at this point, everywhere you see from chapter 15 on, it over and over again says, and all men curse God, and every tongue curse God, and every tongue curse God. At this point, all of humanity, everything that is now being placed under the bold judgment of God is all of the culmination of 6,000 years of humanity warring against the nature of the righteousness of God. And his bowl, and his final judgment, saying, 
enough is enough. In fact, I love even during the bold judgments, after the last bold judgment, it says, and it's finished. It is finished. It's done. I've, this, there's, there will be nothing like this ever again in this place. And so those judgments, and you actually see an interesting parallel. Those judgments all very closely resemble what we saw in uh, Egypt during the time of the plagues. The, all the different boils, all the different judgments, hailstones over 100 pounds coming out of the sky. And it said when those, when those hailstones began to strike planet Earth, that the entire, all of humanity shook their finger at God and cursed him for the things that he brought All my him. roofer friends were excited for that. All my, <laughs> yeah, they are. All my friends that do roofing, man. And so let's move in. So it gets bad. The boils of wrath it are terrible. Bad. But God, the second coming of Christ. But God. It's amazing. This, this whole picture of everything that's going on in heaven and Jesus on the, on the horse and, and, you know, and, and on him is written a name that no one knows and then on, his, and then on, his, uh, and then he, on, his, on another name giving him the word of God and on his thigh is, is, is written the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in this moment, you know, and, and, you know, the, you know the, the Starbucks mocha frappuccino drive around in an in a, in a, in a, in, you know, eco-friendly car version of hippie Jesus that we all have this, ima- this image of, that, that it's just all peace and love. And, you know, and, and, That's how you really feel. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> the reason, and this is why the nation of Israel still doesn't receive Jesus as their Messiah. It's because he did not come as a warrior. They expected a warrior to come and redeem them uh, from out from under the bondage of the nation of Rome. And that's not what Jesus did. What they didn't understand was they didn't see through the spiritual terms that Jesus was a warrior. He, he fought his war in the spiritual. He led principalities captive. He made a show of them openly. He defeated the enemy. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He was a warrior among warriors. He is the warrior that God sent in the Old Testament as the, as the captain of the host that destroyed 100,000 in one night. He, that's why the angels were restrained in this moment. That's why Jesus said, at any moment I could release thousands of angels to rescue me. Because all the warring angels in heaven are saying, this is our captive. This is our, this is our captain. Who is it that's this, this beating him, that's crucifying him? Why is he not retaliating? None of heaven understood this. But this is where we think we have to have this pussycat image of Jesus when the reality is the book of Revelations finally reveals him who he, is, who he really is, which is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is where so, we see that. And that's where we see in, in the Valley of Megiddo this thing called Armageddon, which is this battle, which is the men that are left think they can wage war against the king of kings, and he does return. He does and return. And there is a battle that ensues, and it is, it is finished, and he, he conquers all, correct? Ra- yeah. Wrap us up in that sense. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. I know my time's getting short, so, so come to the third service because I'm going to have all night to do it there. <laughs> um, so the, so at the, in the valley, of Arm- the valley of Armageddon, which we've already kind of said, is just a valley called Megiddo, which is where this battle takes place. The multitudes of the nations all gather together, and they finally say, Okay, God, you've, you've finished. The last bowl's poured out, and we're still standing. What else you got? Well, the last thing God has is his son named Jesus Christ. And he comes down on a, on a white horse, the real man on a white horse. He comes down. It's said that a sword comes out of his mouth. And without going into too much detail, during the fall feast, you have uh, you know, Yom Kippur, and, and you have uh, in all the... In all the the feast of the fall, the, the, the feast of tabernacles, or the feast of trumpets, the feast of atonement, the feast of trumpets. You have this feast at the end, or the feast of, uh, of tabernacles. You have these feasts at the end that Jesus will fulfill in sequential order. He will return on the feast of trumpets. He will then, the feast of atonement, there will be an atonement for all of mankind in this moment. There will be an atonement for all sin in this moment. And the thing is, the Israel doesn't understand why, but there's 15 days there. There's 15 days between the Feast of, of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. They call it the 15 days of awe, and they don't even know why. We now know why. Because it's going to be a 15-day slaughter in that valley. It's going to take Jesus. There's so many millions of people gathered against Jesus in that moment. That for 15 days, it's going, to, it's going to be a bloodshed like nobody's ever seen before. The warrior that Israel was waiting for, the warrior that everybody thinks doesn't exist in the nature of God, is going to come in and he's going to take back all that was robbed from him, all that was persecuted against us, every single baby that was aborted, every person that was mistreated. There is a moment of vengeance, and the vengeance will be mine, says our God in this moment. And so why now do we get prepped for that? The whole thing is doomsday preppers, and preppers aren't the people that wait for the, for the you know, downfall, the collapse, whatever to happen. They're prepared 
beforehand. They're gathering all the kidney beans and all the MREs and all the ammunition. And they're the people that you look at like, those people are crazy. And they're crazy until you need them, right? And then you're like, Bill, you have any more of those beans left? You know, Bill, can I get some cabbage? You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's that guy until I had a neighbor that was an ex-Marine that was like that. And he was like, man, I'm stocking up beans in case such and such happens. And if it does, we're going to, you know, put a crash car here and over here. And I was like, dude, you're okay. But, you know, I was like, he's crazy until the day. You need beans, you know, and you're like, dude, can I come over and get something to eat? But, but looking ahead at this, and if we're not prepared now, then we'll, this, this whole thing will catch us by surprise. If we're not prepared now, if you don't prep now, then in the moment when you get there, it'll be too late. Have you guys ever tried to go to the grocery store, you know, you know, right when the hurricane's coming and they go there and the news people show it, the only bread that's left is like, you know, like dirty dry rye bread. And you're like, oh man, you know, and the only thing that's left, you know, to get something to eat is like little Vienna sausages. Like, ah, and so, you know, you're going to have rye bread and, and, you know, Vienna sausages and stomach problems all during the hurricane. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to be prepared. It's like looking, you know, down the highway in traffic. We're looking so far ahead and we can get focused on what's happening ahead of us, five, six cars ahead, but the car in front of us is hitting the brakes and we got to be ready and prepared for that. So now we prep and now we get ready. So coming right out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to pick it up right here, verses 12 through 8, and this is what it says here. It says, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. In verse 16, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not put, on, put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, it says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with the holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's saying, in these moments, he's given you a list. Your prepper list, and, and we're, we're charged for time right now. So we're going to break it down into four things. He's saying, there, there's a prepper checklist, something that you can do to make sure you're ready. And we can make sure that, that we're ready. To go. And even if our generation doesn't see it, and that we can model it out for our kids to see. And if their generation doesn't see it, then they can have a spiritual inheritance that they can say, I'm handing this down to you so that you can be ready for them. Because I guarantee you, the moment that it gets crazy, these things that, that the Bible says have at the ready, have to be your second nature. If we don't put into practice now, we'll abandon all those things that will be every man for himself. And we'll be no different than all the crazies out there in the streets trying to do things. So this is the four things I want you guys to write down as we take away for our spiritual prepper list the first thing we need to do is we got to practice showing kindness towards each other amen and that can be really difficult in traffic it's hard for me sometimes with my kids I'm like dude you guys are driving me nuts and in the checkout line oh my gosh especially at self-checkout I'm like dude it's simple boop in the bag boop in the bag boop in the bag and then you have the person that's like oh I'm like dude why are you here go to the other line when someone can assist you but it's hard to show kindness to each other sometimes it's very difficult to do that and if we don't practice that, then our second nature won't be to be kind. Our second nature, our, our, you know, our default will be anger. You know, our default will be attitude. And we've got to practice these things. As it says there in verse 15 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is be kind to one another. Don't pay back evil for evil. As, as that's what we want to do most times. Like, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And he says, don't do those things. So as you're, as you're developing your, your little prepper bug out bag, as you're, as you're developing your spiritual you know, prepper list, man, make sure kindness is in there. The second thing I need you guys to write down is we got to be in prayer. we got to be people of prayer. As it says there in chapter 17, it says, pray. Come on, we, we got to be aligned. And that's what prayer does. It aligns us with the word and the will of God. Prayer gets us right back in there. Right after the block party we had, I hurt my neck really bad. And everybody was making fun of me the way I was walking around and stuff like that. And it wasn't funny. I was really in a lot of pain. And, uh, and they were just like, ha ha, Quasimodo. I was like, ha ha, mm. You know, and so I was working on my kindness that day. And, um, 
And so, but it was crazy how my spine had got a little out of whack. I went to the chiropractor, and she's like, have you had any other problems? And I didn't really think about it. And so I was like, yeah, my right arm hurts. She's like, yeah, it's because such and such has been pinched. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so what happens is, is we can get out of line. We, and that's what prayer does. Prayer brings us back into alignment with the will of God. Prayer brings us back into that. It says in 1 Colossians uh, 1.10, so that you may have life. It says the prayer is this, so that you may have li- live a life worthy of the Lord and to please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Prayer is essential in our prep list of what we're doing to prepare for the end times. Third thing I want you guys to write down. We're going th- through these quick so we can get you guys out of here. The third is, is power. We've got to stay connected to the power. It says in verse 19 of Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that, man, that to keep the Spirit's flame going, and that takes work. Okay, keeping, keeping a fire going takes work, and that's what we have to do. We have to continually be stirring up the power of God in us, laying hands on people, and praying in the Spirit, giving words of prophecy and knowledge, you know, and you're in Walmart, and you're struggling with the kindness. Go pray for that person that struggles with checking out slowly. Like, let me pray for you person that that seems to be inept with being able to use electronic devices let me pray for you and we gotta stay connected to that power you know i was putting up blinds in my house and i was using my my cordless drill which i love so much and i'm using it and it's working just fine and then all of a sudden it starts to die and i was like oh man it's convenient and it's nice until it starts to die. And I, I believe sometimes that's kind of how we operate. Is we come and we get a charge on Sunday. We go to a Wednesday small group. And we feel great. We feel good. And then we don't notice there's a problem. Or we don't notice that we need to stay connected to the power. Until we begin to see a physical change in those batteries. Right? The problem with the corded thing is you're constantly attached to something. But the beauty about the corded object is that it never runs out of power. And it never runs out of juice. And that's how we have to be in these end times. We have to be connected to the power that is Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing. The final thing I want you guys to write is we have to live with purpose. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> we have to live with purpose coffee, right? But we, we got to live with a purpose. If you don't understand the purpose of something, it'll get, it'll get misused. It'll be abused because you don't understand the purpose of it. We have to understand that each one of us are created with a purpose, created with a plan. You're not some accident. You shouldn't have been aborted. You are here for a reason. Despite what, what people may have told you, there is a reason why there's a heart beating in your chest and there's breath in your lungs. And that is, if you don't know what your purpose is, if you don't, I said, Pastor, I don't know what it is. I've gone 35 years. You know, I've gone 40 years. I've gone 18 years. And I don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is exactly this, according to Matthew 20, to go and make disciples. We have to live with purpose. In the end times, in the end days, we have to be living with purpose. As we close out, I want to say thank you so much to Pastor John and man, Miss Jamie, thank you so much for allowing us to be up here. <laughs> Pastor John will be available for if you guys want to, want to pick his brain and ask him really difficult questions. Uh, you, can, you can ask him all of those. But as we wrap up uh, this morning, man, I just want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads as we, we close with some prayer. And, uh, man, it's, it's good to know what's coming. It's good to know and, and to be prepared for those things. But, man, we, we got to be living now all we can for Jesus. And we know the end is coming and, and, and that there's going to be wrath and, and all those things. But the beauty about Jesus is he said, hey, look, it doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what happens. Jesus came to give us an opportunity. An opportunity that when the end comes, as the Bible says, to be, to be pre- absent from the body, to be present with God. Whether or not you ever live to see the first seal revealed, whether or not you, you, you live to see Thursday, I don't know. But it's really clear to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And the Bible says very clearly that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And this morning, man, as we close out our Doomsday Preppers, It'd be a shame not to give you an opportunity to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who will come riding on that white horse, vindicating all the people who've been done wrong, all the people who've been unjustly accused, all of that. To be called one of his children, to be a co-heir with Christ. This morning, if you say, Pastor Jonathan, I'm just being honest with myself, and I'll be honest with you. I'm just looking around. You say, Pastor Jonathan, I've never ever said, Jesus, I give you my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. 
Bible's real clear about that. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the way, then you shall be saved. Let's say you have to do anything crazy. You don't have to do, go on some pilgrimage. If you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the way, then you shall be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning before we close out. If you say, Pastor John, that's me. I've never said a prayer. I've never confessed with my mouth. But today I believe in my heart. And today I, w- I want to settle that. I want to make sure that when I'm absent from the body and I meet Jesus face to face, that in my spiritual passport, man, I got my visa for heaven. That when I get there, he'll say, good job. Man, good and faithful, sir. If you be honest with yourself and you be honest with me this morning, if you say, Pastor Jonathan, that's me, man. I'd like for you to pray for me to receive Jesus this morning. If you would, just slip your hand up for a second. Just a moment so we can see you. So we know who we're praying with. We know what friends we can, we can be praying with. Is anybody here today? You see, man, Pastor John, please pray for me. I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, three. Two, one. I've seen a couple hands go up this morning. So this is what I want to do. I want everybody in this congregation to say this prayer with me. There's nothing special about the prayer. There's not a special way you have to formulate it. What's special is the way you mean it and how you say it. And if you believe it in your heart. So what? Everybody, repeat this after me. Say Jesus. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Say Jesus this morning. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And today, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. I pray that our relationship would grow and that I get to know you more. And from this day forward, I promise to do my best to live for you. In Jesus' name.